Well, good morning, saints. Good to see you this morning. What a beautiful time of the year. Just um, thinking about Emmanuel and what that means to each and every person. What that means in terms of him being the Prince of Peace and bringing peace to the earth. And, and that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning. And the title of today's message is Peace in the Storm. Because although Emmanuel has come and has brought peace on earth, we are still in the midst of a storm. So sometimes we wonder to ourselves, how can we um, have peace in the midst of a storm? But it is absolutely possible. And there's so many elements when we speak about peace because a peace can be external, a peace can be internal. Um, one of them we can control. One of them we have some sort of control over and the other uh, we, we don't. But one of the things that we know is that man has tried to bring peace on earth. Uh, one of the reasons we have the United Nations is because we try to come together in a way to bring about peace. And obviously, even within the, uh, the United Nations, um, there's discontentment and arguments, and our best effort still doesn't produce peace. Oh, there is in the United Nations Arts Collection a sculpture uh, that was made, and on that sculpture uh, it says uh, the inscription Isaiah 2.4, which is he will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many people. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives or hooks, nation will not take up the sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. Let us beat swords into plowshares. Oh, that was the idea, um, and, and that's what the sculpture depicts. Uh, but the day is coming when uh, that will come to pass. The day is coming where there will be peace. Uh, imagine before Cain slew Abel, there was peace um, in the garden with Adam and Eve and the Lord. But even uh, what happened with the serpent uh, broke that peace well before an act of violence was committed. Peace in the storm. Our text this morning is found in Romans chapter 5. We're going to be reading the first five verses. So if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in Romans 5, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. I'll be reading this morning out of the CSB. And it reads this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, 
but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Thank you, Lord. As we consider this text this morning, Lord, would you do a work in our heart? Would you build our confidence? Would you help us to see that peace with God overshadows every other thing that we go through? It was our biggest problem not having peace with the Almighty, with the creator of heaven and earth. But now, those who have trusted and the finished work on the cross. We have peace with God. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and even the tribulations we go through, you use for our benefit. Sure those things in our hearts this day, Lord, as we consider your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I was considering uh, this text this morning, uh, I thought about a biblical character whose life from the beginning and throughout showed uh, so much unrest. Uh, it, it showed uh, so much uh, lack of what seemed to be peace and relationship after relationship and situation after situation. Uh, kind of things were going on that uh, we would think destroyed any chance of this person having peace. And that character in the Bible, that person in history was Jacob. Jacob's name is Supplanter, uh, someone who seizes, someone who circumvents, someone who usurps. And he lived a large portion of his life with no peace. But even in that, through his affliction, God used those trials, those challenges to teach Jacob endurance, to develop his character and to give him hope, to give him peace. And in the same way as we look at that example, God does those very things in our lives. Right from the beginning, when we look at the birth of Jacob, it says that Isaac had prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. But then it says, but the children inside her struggled with each other, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The text goes on to say, at the time of childbirth, there was indeed twins in her womb, and when the first one came out, the second one was holding on to his heel. So, so imagine before even coming into the earth, 
you're in a fight. There's but so much space in the womb, and it must have been like, hey, move over, or whatever what was going on. And, and she could feel that in her body and had to petition the Lord to find out what was going on inside of her. The story continues with Jacob and his relationship with his father. His father favored Esau and his mother favored him, and, and they made a plan to steal the brother's birthright. Um, he was the firstborn, and, and he uh, stole the father's blessing and, and from, from his older brother. And when he did that, uh, Esau said, I'm going to kill this guy. Um, and he had to flee. So, so he went away. And he went to live with his father-in-law. And he went to live with his, his uncle, who became his father-in-law. And he had some daughters. And he was in love with one of the daughters and said he would work seven years for her. And when the daughter was to be given to him, he was tricked by his father-in-law. And he received the older daughter first, and, and that upset him. And he stayed there another seven years and worked for his love of his life, which was Rachel. And even in the midst of that, as they were shepherds and, and the flock started to grow, it says that Laman changed his son-in-law Jacob's wages ten times. So, so right from birth, he has a strife with his brother, and then he has strife with his father, and then he gets tricked by his father-in-law, but the same way he got tricked, he was a trickster himself. Uh, it was only uh, teaching him what living that type of lifestyle would get you. So now he has these two wives that are sisters, and one starts to have children, and Rachel didn't. And they actually, if you read the test, had like a baby-making competition to win his love and affection because to have a child was a blessing. And the more children you had given the family, uh, it, it showed God's favor in a sense, or at least in their minds. And they, they had a baby-making competition. It's, it was crazy. Even they gave their maidservants to uh, their husbands, and God uses everything. Like even the crazy stuff that we do, he uses that, that, that is awesome, because if he only used, like, the good stuff we do, which only could be produced by him anyway, we'd be in big trouble, right? He uses even our foolishness. That's not um, a license to go out and be foolish, by the way. So this happens, and now he's worked for his father-in-law for like 20 years and it's time for him to leave. He's a rich man and, and on his way out of there, he even wrestles with God. His, his whole life was filled 
with one battle after another. And as he's leaving there, he knows that he has to make amends with his brother. And two decades have passed, and he makes amends with his brother. And in the midst of all of that seeming external war, uh, where it was hard for him to have peace, uh, I don't know if you've ever had uh, strife with someone, especially someone that says, I'm going to kill you. That, that's not a thought that escapes your mind. Uh, that is something that um, keeps you on point, uh, keeps you aware of your surroundings, wondering if this is the day that the things I've done or the person that uh, has this against me is going to come and satisfy what's going on in, in their heart. Uh, that is not a comfortable experience. That is something that becomes internal. So, so all of these things that he was going through affected the inside, although we're seeing them expressed outwardly. So he um, goes and he makes amends with his brother. And even as life goes on, uh, things happen in his life where he loses one of his sons, his, his favorite son, and believes his son to be dead for 13 years. So imagine I'm holding on to my brother's heel from the womb. And, and, and then I, I trick my father to, to prosper in, in a worldly way. I have strife with my father-in-law, and even though we patched that up, those things are still there. And in my own household, there's beef between my wives, and obviously wives is a problem. There's beef because she have a wife. Don't believe because these things happen that God designed it to be that way. No, these are things that they did, and God still worked out what he was working out. So there's turmoil in the house, and then it comes a point where he believes that his son that he loves so much uh, is gone. What? external and internal turmoil that must have brought. Uh, how could he, in the midst of all of that, consider himself being in a peaceful state? Wrestling with God and wrestling with people. But even in his wrestling with God, something was happening. God was at work. And in his wrestling with God, God changed his name. He, he said to him in Genesis 32, starting in verse 28, your name will no longer be, will no longer be Jacob, which again means surplanter, which means a trickster. He said, it will be Israel. Israel means to triumph with God. It means to wrestle with God. 
It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So, so one of the takeaways for this morning is in our wrestling, in our turmoil, in our struggle for the child of God, God is going to bring about peace. He is going to use those very things that we look at as tornadoes and hurricanes in our lives, and he brings about peace because he is doing something in us in the midst of it all. God made promises to Jacob. And, and, and when we look at how Jacob lived his life, God didn't make promises to him because uh, he was exemplary. He was really a trickster. He had to be changed, and only God could change him. It says in Genesis 35, uh, starting in verse 9, that God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padam Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be called Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you, and kings will descend from you, and I will give to you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, which was his father and his grandfather, and I will give the land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at the place where he had spoken to him. At the end of Jacob's life, he was reunited with his son. They were in Egypt uh, to relieve themselves from the famine. Uh, all his sons were there, and Joseph was there, and he says that at, when he was on his deathbed, then he blessed Joseph and said to him, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who had redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys and may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow and be numerous within the land. In, in Jacob's life, uh, he had much turmoil. And most of it, as we discussed, was caused by him. It, it, it wasn't all of these outside circumstances. No, much of it was caused by him. But God used it to reveal himself to Jacob. Not only to reveal himself to Jacob, but to change Jacob's character, to give him a new name that he would no longer be called Jacob, but he would be called Israel. And that nation would be named Israel after him. And he would live at the end of his life in peace and blessed by God. And so would his offspring be blessed. 
God gave him peace. But that peace started with him having peace with God. One of the things that we need to recognize is that we live in a fallen world. So there's no way we get through this life without suffering in some way because of the fallen world. We'll have all kind of injustices. We'll have all kind of things done to us, and we will do all kind of things to others. But what we still must do is fight for peace. In this world, the things that God calls ugly is always going to be presented to us as beautiful. And, and there's always going to be these seductive voices, these untruths coming to our ears, and we have to recognize that's part of the external war. We are tempted to desire things that are outside of God's will for us. That, that, that's the temptation. Um, and we have to recognize that's only part of the problem. The reason why that's a temptation to us, the reason why we have turmoil, the reason why we don't have peace often is because we have a bigger problem. It is uh, the evil that's inside of us. Although we're children of God, and the power of sin is broken in our lives, uh, there still remains sin presently that is being eradicated by the Holy Spirit through the process of sanctification, but it's still the internal struggle that we have. Our problem is never just out there. It's never just environmental. It's never just external. Our deeper problem is internal. It's, it's, it's what we're doing with these temptations that are coming from the outside and what's happening inside of us. It, it appeals to our selfishness. It appeals to our greed. And when we fall prey to those things, it robs us of our peace. It robs us of our peace. But the Bible tells us where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. The, the starting place for us is recognizing that our greatest Need and peace is peace with God. The, the text tells us that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first blessing that we receive from justification is peace. Peace with God. Being in harmony with God. Us who were exchanged, ex, estranged, us that were enemies of God. Now we can live in harmony with God. The text goes on to say, we also obtain access 
through him by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The second benefit is to have access to God. What a beautiful thing. We just read a song about the veil being torn. The fact that we have peace with God and then we can come to God. We can be near to God. We can call him our father. This is a great benefit and, it, and it's a position that we stand in because of his grace and what Christ has done and what that means for each and every one of us. And then it says, not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produce endurance. So in other words, we have peace with God who, above all, we need to have peace with because it has eternal ramifications. We have access to God, and then the text goes on to say, and then the things that we have to endure in this fallen world, that God uses it to produce endurance. Endurance is about resisting pressure. We, we all feel pressure. Endurance is strengthening us in the spirit man that we are able with pressure to still resist, right? Not fall under the weight of pressure, right? Once in a while, if you're bench pressing and you're at the end and this is your last set and you can't push that thing up, it can come down on your chest or your neck and crush you. But God, who in that analogy would be the one to spot us, <laughs> spotting us means standing over you, making sure that that weight does not come down on you and crush you, allows us through affliction to be able to resist those pressures and he's building something in us and he's spotting us while he's still letting us push that thing up, but it will not come down on us. And, and, and what that does, endurance produces proven character. So as we learn to endure, as God uses affliction to build us, now we start to change from the inside. That that's what Jacob was going through in this long process where there seemed to be no peace, though God was changing him. God is changing you and I. That pressure that you have, where you're called to endure, he's not going to let, let that weight fall on you, but he's going to let you push and press and strain. But he wants you to be confident. You're not the one doing it. I'm doing it in you, and it's for a reason. That in itself should give us a sense of peace. Proven character indicates tested value. Right? As we have proven character, then it becomes something of, of worth. 
the text goes on to say, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He's given us the Holy Spirit and is changing what we put our hope in. That, that's a big part because we put our hope in things that will not sustain us, will not satisfy us, will not do what it, it acts like it's going to do, but he's changing us as our character change, as we learn to endure, to put our hope in the right thing. And when we stand before the Lord, catch this, in every material thing that we've acquired on this earth is gone. You know what's left behind? Whatever you've gained in a spiritual way that he is doing in you. That's what remains. As you stand, your character, your endurance, uh, what your hope was in, all of those things will be retained. This other stuff doesn't matter. Our peace with God so supersedes every affliction that inner peace should remain. And even as we go through things, we know that these afflictions are producing endurance, proven character, and hope. Inner battle is what's really going on, not the exterior fight. The exterior fight for the believer is over. But our, our battle was a battle of the will. And, and now we belong to God. So that was the real exterior fight. The, the inner battle often is us accepting those things, recognizing who we are in him and what these things are producing. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, catch this, had every exterior battle imaginable, but he still had peace with the Father. Think about the Prince of Peace and the battleground that the Prince of Peace had. First and foremost, the devil, right? As soon as Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And immediately the tempter came after he was hungry and fasted for 40 days and night. And he questioned who he was. Does Jesus know who he is? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. After Jesus, through Scripture, defeated the devil, the text tells us the devil went away for, and waited for a more opportune time. No, he wasn't gone. Okay, you won that one. I'll be back. The Pharisees. Everything that the Pharisees asked. That's why we have to kind of determine when people are asking questions what their motivation is. They, they, they didn't ask questions wanting 
to know and learn and grow, they were asking questions to try to trap Jesus. That's what they did. So, so, so the devil was the battleground. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, and then even the crowds, right? When, when the festival of the governors came and uh, they had to release a prisoner, they cried out for Barabbas. And he said, what do we do with this Jesus? And they said, crucify him. And Pilate said, this man is guilty of nothing, but they kept yelling, crucify him. Very different than Jacob and the peace that he did not have because he was the one doing things that caused these relationships to have him not at peace. But Jesus, everything that came against him, none of it was because he caused it, because he was perfect in every way. Not only did he have war with the devil and with the Pharisees and with the crowd, but even with his own family. Mark 3 Starting at verse 20, said that Jesus entered the house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not able to eat. And when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. So often, these battles that we have are even in our households. One of the things that we know that we don't pick is family. Oh, you're my brother. You're my sister. But the people that we surround ourselves with, we have some say in some of that. But even in the midst of his disciples, there was a Judas. And Judas made a deal with the Pharisees and came up with a price and Look for a good opportunity, the scripture says, to betray him. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he fought for our peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, fought for our peace. So, so when we look at Jesus and having all of these external battles going on, he remains the Prince of Peace. And in it all, he had perfect peace because he knew what he came for. That was so much bigger than everything he was going to have to go through. The things that Jacob did that did not allow him to have peace were all selfish. It was about him and what he wanted and what he wanted to do. And even though he started that way, God, in his mercy and his grace, used those very things that Jacob would have destroyed himself and brought him to a place of peace, showered him 
with his grace and mercy, changed his name, revealed himself to Jacob where he made promises that last until this day. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came and fought a war on our behalf that we would have peace with God. So all that we go through, that we are called to endure, that God is producing proven character in us and giving us a hope. Imagine that our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings, God in those things is bringing about peace. We already have, as believers, peace with God. But all of these other things, relationships and the battle from within and the things that we've caused and the things that we're just subjected to, even those things, there will be peace. The Bible tells us that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. Colossians 2 tells us, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We're going to have communion at this time. I'd ask the ushers to prepare for that and the leaders to come forward to distribute the elements. But just think about us being able to sit down at the table because of what the Prince of Peace has done. We don't just sit down with anyone. We don't sit down at a table with enemies. When we sit down and, and break bread together, it's, it's family and the people that we're closest to. But in the way that the Prince of Peace has called us to come to his table, it's because we're remembering how he brought about that peace for each and every one of us and how it should be such a remembrance in our hearts and mind that we who were rebels have peace with God can now come to his table. And whatever we're dealing with that doesn't seem like it's bringing about peace, God is still going to use each and every one of those things. The Bible tells us that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. 
Jesus paid a high price with his body and blood for us to be able to remember him in this way. He fought for our peace. So in this time, we want to reflect on what he has done. We want to sit in remembrance of that. Also, we're struggling with anything as his child. If we need to bring anything to him, let's take a few minutes to reflect on his goodness. Thank him for his mercy. Recognize that even the things that we've done in selfish ways and wrong ways in God's goodness and mercy, we're to present those things to him. And he's even using those things for our good and his glory. Let's spend some time as we listen to this song, just petitioning the Lord and communing with him. And I'll come back and we'll take communion together.